Welcome back to PH Pod for the third episode of season three. I'm Bethany Hollenborg. And I'm Connor McCombs. Thank you so much for joining us. This season, we're focusing on public health at work. And today we're speaking with Paul Lakoski of the Dave Purchase Project and the North American Syringe Exchange Network. We're going to be diving into the world of harm reduction and frontline work. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself for our listeners and tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay. My name is Paul Lakoski, and I'm the executive director of Dave Purchase Project, and we run the Tacoma Needle Exchange, which is the first legally sanctioned syringe exchange in the United States, started in 1988 by our founder, Dave Purchase. We also run the North American Syringe Exchange Network, which is better known as NASIN, which is a one of the largest distributors of harm reduction supplies to SSPs in the United States, Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico. Would you mind defining harm reduction just super briefly for some of our listeners who might be less familiar? So harm reduction in reference to drug use is a philosophy really about reducing the harm and suffering that individuals who use drugs um, experience. Um, It's a very pragmatic approach. It does not condone drug use. It does not condemn drug use. All it's interested in doing is reducing the harm and suffering uh, caused by drug use. So you've been working in public health for over 30 years. Yes. How has the stigma and attitude, how have they changed around syringe access and the work that y'all are doing? In the last 30 years, there have been significant changes um, for the better um, with regards to syringe exchange. There's a general acceptance that it is a legitimate public health practice. Um, Early on, it was not really considered that. Um, I think part of that general acceptance comes from the huge amount of research that's gone behind syringe exchange since it started nearly 30 years ago, doing work to substantiate the positive public health benefits of syringe exchange. Among the general population, syringe exchange is more widely viewed as widely acceptable. But in terms of stigma, particularly illicit drug use, um, in the United States is still really, really prevalent and damaging. And the, the kind of manifestations of that stigma, both in internalized stigma as well as exogenous stigma, really manifest themselves in terrible health outcomes for people who use drugs. It is unrecognized by folks. And I'll give you an example. We have a wound care clinic on Fridays at our syringe exchange, and people can come in and get their wounds treated for free. Uh, We did that because we saw that as a need. And the reason it was a need is because people who inject drugs, especially people who don't have access to clean and sterile equipment, end up with a lot of skin and soft tissue infections, and they turn into massive abscesses. But the folks that we were seeing, as horribly painful as these things were, still would not go to an emergency room to get these things treated. Often what would result is it would go on and on until the person was non-ambulatory and had to be carried into an emergency department to get their wounds treated. And they wouldn't go in because they weren't treated well the last time they went in. And abscesses and skin infections, they can get painful, especially if you let them sit for a long period of time. And so people were more willing to put up with having pain than going in and experiencing something that might be embarrassing or shameful or however they feel treated by that situation. They'd rather deal with letting an infection fester. Well, that's such a part of our healthcare system, I think. I mean, you mentioned this idea of deserving healthcare. They didn't feel they deserved it either from the doctor's perspective or from the patient's perspective. And that's such a 
sad thought in this system where the United Nations, I believe, has treatises proclaiming that everyone deserves healthcare. And it's sad to think that that's not something necessarily practiced here just because of how we perceive someone. Absolutely. Um, I, and I think one of the underlying issues among all of this is that the United States really needs universal health care. Everyone needs access to that. And I think a lot of the people that we see at the syringe exchange, a lot of people who use drugs are using those drugs to self-medicate for some undiagnosed issue that they've never had treated because they don't have access to health care. If these folks are so pressed to find some substance that will make them feel different than the way they feel when they're not medicated, we really have issues on our hand. And I think a lot of these folks are dealing with trauma. They were dealing with undiagnosed mental health issues. And if they had access to good medical care before they started using drugs, then they wouldn't have gone down the path that they're on. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that everyone who uses drugs does it because they're in a chaotic spiral and trying to self-medicate because they feel traumatized at some point. There are lots of folks who use drugs who, who are not in chaotic drug use spirals, who can control their drug use and who have who are perfectly functional in every way, but they use drugs. And we don't judge at the syringe exchange. If you come in and you're a weekend user, we treat you just the same as if you come in and you're in a chaotic drug use spiral. We ask you what you need. We give it to you. We ask if there are other services that you need. We'll connect you with those. No questions asked. Which is feels like a, an important and key point of medical care of public health is that idea that your health is confidential to you and you shouldn't be shamed for having any kind of health issue or needing any kind of care. You know, you wouldn't do that to someone who's on dialysis. You wouldn't do that to somebody who needs to come in for blood infusions or has COPD, but we do have this stigma attached to syringe exchange. We do have it attached to caring for skin and soft tissue infections that look like they're from needle use. Yeah, and particularly injection drug use, I know gets quite a bit of stigma attached to it in healthcare and even until very recently in public health efforts, which I mean, going to the origination of where syringe exchanges came from originated to help lessen HIV transmission, right? And other bloodborne diseases such as hepatitis. What are the main concerns now when it comes to harm reduction and needle exchanges? Is HIV still a concern? So yeah, HIV is still a concern. Um, as you can see from the incident in Scott County, where there was an HIV cluster associated with injection drug use because they had no access to clean syringes. Former Vice President Pence reluctantly lifted that order after many, many people were infected with HIV due to that lack of services. So HIV is still a concern. Blood hepatitis is still a concern. Bloodborne pathogens are still a concern. So there's the kind of intrinsic value in syringes, um, which is, you know, you provide people with sterile injection equipment. They are less likely to suffer from abscesses, from infections, from those kinds of things. But then there is the, the external value, which is if you provide something to drug users that, that is of tangible value to them, they will come in. And really the biggest key, I think, for syringe exchanges is that we use the syringes to get people to come in, to build those relationships, have those conversations, keep them connected to networks so that when the time comes, if and when the time comes that they are ready to reach out for help, they know where to turn to. 
I think the biggest value that syringe exchange has is in keeping people healthy, alive, and connected to a network of individuals that they trust that can provide them with help when they decide, okay, today is my day. We are there to help them with positive change and provide them with the tools and the resources necessary to make those changes as they see fit. It's kind of fostering the trust that's been missing in healthcare settings for these people for so long. Absolutely. A syringe has a value, but the biggest value is in it is a tool of engagement to keep people connected and keep them alive and healthy until they make that decision that they want to make changes in their lives. So with syringes being a tool to keep people healthy, what is a common misconception that you experience or see around needle exchange and syringe access? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, so there's a common misconception that I like to disabuse people of whenever I go to do a community talk. And they say, they, they have this idea that all people who are living houseless and unsheltered are drug users, and they deserve their fate. And that all people who are drug users are houseless. And, you know, anyone who's worked in an exchange for a while knows that we get people from all walks of life. Um, we get people who come in just because they, they have to make a choice between purchasing their syringes and their insulin, and they can't afford both, and they need their insulin so we can provide them with syringes. There are many different kinds of people that come into the exchange. They're a kind of across the socioeconomic spectrum, but a lot of the people that we get are houseless or on the verge of houseless. So the idea that all houseless people kind of are drug users um, is, is completely incorrect. I love that you bring that up. So I'm I'm from New Orleans and I worked in resource connection for people who lived outside. But in New Orleans, we don't see it as big of a problem as it is up here in Boston. Um, mm -hmm. We're in the medical capital of the United States and drug use is so closely tied to being unhoused up here. It's much more food. It's much more, where do I sleep? It's much more hygiene. Where can I go to the bathroom? How can I clean myself up? And those are the major concerns that we faced down there. Yes. We, we have ended in the last two years, have given out tens of thousands of dollars worth of just basic hygiene products so that people have a modicum of, of dignity in you know living outside, living unhoused. So syringe exchanges in the last two years really have kind of by necessity um, become frontline housing resource service providers or service providers for people who are living houseless. Um, and it's, we've given out a lot, we've engaged a lot of folks who are not drug users, but just living houseless and need hygiene supplies. And how has going through a pandemic and several other public health emergencies in these last couple of years changed harm reduction work? Yeah, it's, there have been some good changes and there have been some not so good changes. Um, I think that, um, I think that the work that syringe exchanges have done in the last two years, reaching out to hard to reach unhoused populations has really reinforced among the public health infrastructure that SSPs are legitimate frontline public health service providers. They are not some fringe bunch of like nutty advocates waving around who just want to throw syringes off of fire engines and things. We are doing serious frontline public health work. And we always have been, but it takes this kind of enormous public health crisis 
to show that the people who are working at the 500 or so syringe exchanges in the United States, reaching out to populations that cannot be reached in other ways, are doing serious frontline public health work, and they deserve the support of the public health infrastructure in the United States. I think the the more difficult thing in the last two years has been how COVID has impacted the drug supply in the United States and how the change in drug use and supply has really adversely impacted uh, overdose rates. Um, so the message for COVID is isolate, isolate, isolate. The message that harm reductionists give is never use alone, never use alone, never use alone. Um, because when you use alone, the likelihood that you will have an opioid poisoning or overdose and there's no one there to revive you is greatly increased. Pre-pandemic, we were looking at 65, 70,000 overdose deaths in the United States. We're already on track from over 100,000 this year. Isolation kills drug users. I feel like that aspect of isolation is one of those things we see, you know, if you have a friend to call or help you and revive you, it's your chances are better. What are ways that we can improve for safety of people? Really, if you want to be safe, you need to do a couple of things. Drug checking, letting people know exactly what's in the sample. The next step would be safe consumption spaces. Um, and I'm not saying just safe injection spaces. I'm saying safe consumption spaces because injection spaces just implies injecting. But consumption spaces are People want to smoke fentanyl. And, you know, if you're going to smoke fentanyl, the likelihood of you overdosing, smoking fentanyl is does not reduce the harm of overdose. And a lot of people don't want to inject anymore, which is great. The needle going into the arm is what causes most of the damage from injection drug use. It's not even necessarily the drug. It's the repeated injections, the infections, the complications due to injection, it's endocarditis, all of those things that are associated with the injection. So it's really the needle that does the most damage, especially if it's a used and unsterile needle. Is there anything else we could do to lower the negative impacts or the negative effects um, for people who inject drugs? Now, the next logical step there would be pharmaceutical grade drugs for people so that they don't have to worry about what's in their sample. So there are different levels of harm reduction we could employ, but if we're still just getting used to the idea of syringe exchange in the United States, we are way behind the eight ball on other things. So I think everybody here in this room definitely supports the idea of prescription grade medication and safe consumption sites. But what do you say to people who think about this as enabling drug use or making people less safe because we're kind of encouraging the further uptake of injection drug use. You know, if anyone argues against safe consumption spaces, the one kind of phrase I have for them is no one has ever died from an opioid poisoning in a safe consumption space in more than 30 years. No one. So, you know, you can argue all you want against safe consumption spaces, but the fact is they save lives. But what do you, you obviously have worked in this field for a long time. What do you see the feasibility of growing the existing harm reduction services, such as needle exchanges, such as NASIN, into safe consumption sites? Into medical grade prescriptions, which is mm -hmm. 
seems a little pie in the sky for the United States. I mean, the idea that marijuana would be legal when I was, you know, a high schooler in the mid 80s would be astronomical. I would have said, no way. They're never going to legalize weed. Never. All right. You know, and now as a much older person, I drive down the street smelling marijuana all the time going, geez, I can't believe I voted to legalize this stuff. And now there's a line backing up traffic, trying to get into the Mary Mart. And I'm trying to get my kid to school and I'm stuck in a traffic jam for the weed shop. So the idea that we can't move towards liberalizing our drug laws is absurd. It's, it's going to take a long time, though. I, I agree with you so much. I think it takes it takes longer than you think it will. And unfortunately, I'm out of time longer. <laughs> and with this taking longer, everything takes longer in our bureaucratic society. But it, drug use is something with so much stigma. At least it feels like it's something that has so much stigma around it. Now, in terms of general society, yes injection drug users are looked down on. There's this kind of idea that, oh, you know, it's one thing to smoke a blunt. It's another thing to shoot up. I think that those are artificial constraints made by society. I mean, drug use is drug use. This idea that one drug is better or worse than another, it's a completely artificial construct. And I'm glad you've mentioned the different walks of life we kind of see people who use drugs come from. Because obviously in our heads, since the war on drugs and a lot of media has very much villainized drug use, we have this idea of cleaning up the streets or getting clean. This imagery that is very demeaning and dehumanizing to people who are unhoused and people who use drugs. But because of that, there are a lot of people in the United States who don't think harm reduction is for them. They don't see the value of it working in the field, how do you convey to the people who don't view harm reduction as for them, how do you get them on your side? You have to have conversations with people who won't, dis- who won't necessarily agree with you. I you know, accept every invitation to speak to a community group, and we have some, some uncomfortable conversations sometimes. And what I explain to folks is that what harm reduction really is, it's, it's about alleviating suffering and helping people stay alive. And as a community, as a society, isn't that what we want? You make a really great point about one person suffering or one one subgroup suffering affects the entire group, affects the entire nation, the entire society. Yeah, I mean, drug use is an individual activity, but the implications for illegal drug use or having drug use be illegal, the ramifications ripple out. And the external costs of the punitive approach that we take to drug use in this country are tremendous. Um, You know, in the billions of dollars a year, um, wrongly spent, they're they're wasted dollars. Of course, and that's money that could be going to education efforts, housing efforts, anything that would, instead of taking these people away from communities, lessen the burden and reduce the harm. And I'm, I'm not a Pollyanna about this. I'm very pragmatic. There are folks who, you know, they're, they are never going to be able to stop using drugs. And I think that um, a better approach to that than letting them kind of, you know, continue to harm themselves and to continue to socialize the costs of their, of their harm is to get them into a setting where we can help them moderate and control their drug use and reduce the harm that it causes to them and to society in general. 
Thank you so much for that. Um, so with our theme this year being public health in action, what is some advice you'd give people who are looking to go into this field of work, into harm reduction? I, I think the most important thing is really just learning as much as you can about the needs of this population so that if you choose to work with the population, you know how to engage them in a respectful and accessible way. I think that a lot of misinformation is not out of a, a malevolent approach. It's because people just don't know how to engage with this population. So educating yourself on uh, you know, drug policy in the United States, um, educating yourself on the, the health needs of drug users um, and how to approach that. Um, a great way is to volunteer at an exchange. There are many different things. I never, so I, I don't have a degree in public health. I'm an accidental public health person, but I've always been a very deliberate anthropologist and that's what my degree is in. I'm a cultural anthropologist. I was biological anthropology. Okay, yeah, there are many ways into public health work that don't start with a public health class. And, you know, I know a lot of folks doing, you know, research in public health who are not public health workers who had no intention about doing this. It's something... They got connected some way, and this is the direction they've been going for a long time. I feel like what I'm hearing here is all roads lead to public health. For me, at least, all roads led here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we really appreciate you meeting with us today. We have one more question. Yes. Sure. So this is something we do with all of our guests. Um, we ask you to tell us a short sentence. So it's essentially leaving our listeners with something that they can hold on to, something they can really remember. Um, how do you say a lot in, by saying a little? So what, Paul, is your short sentence? Don't be afraid to have conversations with people who disagree with you. Wow, that was beautifully said. Thank you so much, Paul, for your time. PHPOD is brought to you by the Boston University School of Public Health and Public Health Post, which informs and inflects the broader conversation in health and social justice. Every day, we feature new articles about the health of the population. Join the conversation by following us on your favorite social media. You can also subscribe to the PHP Friday Roundup to see our stories of the week delivered directly to your inbox by visiting publichealthpost.org. Thanks for listening.